0: The following audio message is from Neighborhood Church in Overland Park, Kansas. At Neighborhood Church, we seek to be a community that loves God and our neighbors together. If you would like to learn more about Neighborhood Church, please go to www.neighborhoodchurchop.com. Well, good morning, friends. How are we doing this morning? Uh, Gabe is the only one who's doing well this morning. How are we doing this morning? Pastor Dave and Rivers, they are in Chicago right now, probably eating some deep dish pizza. They're at a NAM event, so it's my joy and privilege to be able to um, share with you guys from Scripture. My name is Eric Stelzer. For those of you who might be uh, new and not know who I am, my wife and I moved out here about three years ago to help plant what you're experiencing right now alongside Dave and Rivers and Joel and so many more of you. And the passage we're going to look at this morning is near and dear to my heart. It's actually why Leah and I are about church planting. It's what I'm really passionate about. So I'm really, really excited to share this message with you this morning. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. It's 835 and maybe half of the black hard-covered Bibles. I'm not sure what it is in the other ones. We've got some new ones. If you don't have a Bible, know that is our gift from us to you. Take that home. Write your name in it you got a friend or a family member who needs a Bible, we love this book, so give it away. Matthew 28, and we're going to be finishing our study on the kingdom. We're going to be finishing Matthew today. It's been two long years that we've been going through, but we're going to look at the last words that Matthew pens, and we're going to look at the last words that Jesus gives his disciples. So Matthew 28, and we're going to look at verses 11 through 20, and we're going to focus in on 16 through 20, but let's... Read beginning in verse eleven, Matthew writes, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. When they had assembled the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers, and said to the and said, tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Verse 16, now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And if I may, let me preface this message before we pray and jump in. If you are maybe new in exploring Christianity, or maybe you don't really believe in God yet, or maybe you're like, I don't know why I'm here. Um, this message that we're going to look at is specifically for people who have decided to follow Jesus. So if you've decided to follow Jesus, this message is for you. But if you're still kind of like figuring those things out, I want you to know that you can just take a seat. You can just take a back row seat and just kind of listen in to what Jesus is all about and what we as Christians are all about. So don't feel obligated to like, oh man, I got to go do this. But there's also going to be an opportunity, like, at the end, if you want, you can come back and see some people, and you're like, man, you can be a part of this. Like, you're invited to be a part of this. But just know that our focus is going to be those for those who love Jesus and have decided to follow him, and that's what Jesus is talking about here. So would you pray with me? Father God, I pray that you would empower me to share your word this morning. I pray for open hearts and open eyes and open minds to hear from your spirit, we pray that you would teach us, encourage us, challenge us to, to love you more and to love others. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you would say that you have a purpose in life? Show of hands. You have a pur- maybe, maybe you have a statement. Like you, maybe you watch Tony Robbins and he's the guru, you know, that like shares kind of like how you can have a better purpose for your life. May- Does anyone have a statement like this is my purpose for life? Oh, nobody. <laughs> well, I didn't either. So I remember back in high school and after high school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. You know, I didn't know what my li- where my life was headed. I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. I played in a band in high school and after, so I thought I was going to tour the nation and everyone was going to be like, yeah, 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 you know, I play guitar and stuff. So I thought that was my purpose. Um, that didn't really work out because all the guys in the band got girlfriends and we didn't have practice, so. <laughs> which kind of stunk, so I was like, maybe the military because some of my family was in the military. Um, That didn't work out. I tried community college, and I was always getting high, so I skipped class and didn't go to class and didn't pass my classes, so I was like, well, that's not my purpose, so I even moved to Charlotte, North Carolina to live with my brother and was like, you know, I'll just make a whole bunch of money and do this, so I worked alongside of him, but no matter what, like, I couldn't find my, I didn't know what my purpose was, and what I realized is without purpose, I, my life was kind of chaotic disorganized, and even destructive at times. And I want to propose to you this morning, if your life kind of feels disorganized or chaotic or you've been in this situation, then what you might need is some purpose, some direction, something to aim at in life. And purpose is more than just like, I'm a dad or I'm a boss or like, my career, like purpose, according to the dictionary, is the reason why something exists. So it encompasses the whole being. It's like, what is my purpose for life? So I've titled my message this morning, Life on Purpose. Would you tell a neighbor, you've got a purpose? Tell a neighbor, you've got a purpose. You've got a purpose. See, Jesus is with his disciples here, and they've been kind of following him and learning through what this whole kingdom is that he is sharing, and he is about to give them meaning and purpose behind their existence. Like, Jesus lived to share this mission, to share this purpose with his disciples. And so, we're going to look at three different observations of this purpose that we find in this passage so the first is found in verse 19 read with me it'll be on the sky Bible above me as well and Jesus came and said to them all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me the first observation is the premise of our purpose the foundation for this message or this thing that Jesus is about to give his Disciples, And what Jesus is doing here, the premise is a profound statement. Jesus is claiming to be king. You see in verse 17, it says that they ran up and some worshipped him. And it literally meant that they fell flat on their face and worshipped him as if he were a king. And Jesus is saying, all authority, all power has been given to me. I am king. And remember, the title of our study is The Kingdom. So Jesus has been setting up this kingdom and proclaiming the kingdom, and he's actually been preparing his time for the coronation and the inauguration. And on Good Friday, we celebrated the coronation when the crown of thorns was beaten into his head and then on easter last sunday we celebrate the formal inauguration when jesus was made king and so he is coming back to his disciples just a, a couple weeks later and he says i am king and all power and all authority has been given to me in philippians 1:20 20 to 22 we read when god raised christ from the dead he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places Far above all rule and all authority, and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over the things to the church. See, the premise of our purpose is that Jesus is king. And, and we're, we're going to look at the purpose, and we haven't looked at it yet, but but we're setting it up. Like, the foundation is, Jesus says, all power and all authority is, is mine. And it might make our ears perk up, right? It's like, is, is this for me? You know, like, he, a, a kingly man is here, and he's about to share. See, The premise of our purpose is founded on the fact that Jesus is king, he has been given all authority, he is reigning over all creation. From the edge of the universe to the most microscopic thing, from our biggest decisions to our smallest decisions, he is king. One scholar says there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Jesus claims all power and all authority. Power is the ability to get something done. Authority is the jurisdiction, the legal right to exercise that power. And I mean, many of you know, there's, there's a lot of people that might have power in this world, but they don't have authority. They don't have any legal right. And maybe some of you guys are thinking about your bosses or something like that. But the, there's people in this world that claim power and have power. But Jesus is saying here, I have power and I also have the authority to, the legal right to exercise that power. And and it doesn't say that he just has some power or some authority, it says all. Which makes me think if he has all, then that means nobody else has any. Right? Like he has all power, all authority. So we went to a Royals game last night, and I don't, I'm, I'm bad with, guys, I need to love Kansas City better. I don't know the players' names. I wish we had an NBA team out here, but I was just thinking about, I was thinking about this, like, in the sports world, Kyrie Irving's playing today at noon, right, and they, they're, they're trying to move forward in, in the NBA playoffs, and he has power, does he not? Like, he has power to move the ball back and forth. Like he has power to call plays, he's got he's got a shoe contract, he's got sponsors, he's got a lot of power, does he not? But there's one man on the court who has authority, and who's that? The referee. He's got just a small little whistle, He don't got you don't got a shoe contract, he doesn't have anything like that. I was thinking about Tony, but Tony wasn't in here. We were gonna do a hockey illustration. But Tony has like a whistle, right? Tony has a whistle, and he has authority. So the players have all this power to do whatever they want, but Tony has the whistle, and he has the authority to restrict the player's power, right? And Jesus, in this sense, has all authority. And there is not an instant replay that can recall his calls. He has all all power and all authority he is king and if any of you have military experience you would know if you have a commanding officer whatever he says goes right his last words are your first priority and sometimes i think as christians we read this passage and we we kind of put ourselves in the position of ethan hunt in the imf you know when they're like hey we got this mission for you and it's like, here's your mission, if you choose to accept. And we take like this great commission or this great command of Jesus and we kind of make it the great suggestion. Like, we can choose to accept it or not. Like, I don't know, I don't really know if I wanna do this. But Jesus is standing here and saying, I have all power and all authority. This is a non-negotiable of what I'm about to lay out, this purpose that I have for your life. scholar and Pastor H.B. Charles says, we are on mission from the Lord Jesus Christ, and the last command of Jesus must remain our first priority. The premise has been laid, because I am king, and because I have all power and all authority, here is your mission for life. Here is your purpose. So what is the mission? What is the purpose? Look at verse 19 and 20 with me. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit Teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you So this leads to our second observation. We looked at the premise, but now here's the principle what everything's built on He says go and make disciples go and make Disciples the main verb actually here is to make disciples. It's not go. It's make disciples This is our purpose so the questions we have to answer is what is a disciple and how do we make disciples? So King Jesus has said, let's go make disi- go make disciples. So what is a disciple? How do we make a disciple? So first, what is a disciple? In scripture, we see that the followers of Jesus were actually called disciples before they were called Christians. Like later on, some Greeks called them Christians. They were actually called disciples or followers of Jesus. And I mean I follow plenty of people on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. My, um, who was it? Who were we talking to yesterday? Clint. Clint says he follows Patrick Mahomes. But, like, when we follow people, like, sometimes this term can get, like, misconstrued. Like, are we really a disciple of Patrick Mahomes? You know? Joel, are you a disciple of Patrick Mahomes? <laughs> what, is it that, what is a disciple? Like, what does it mean to be a disciple if we just follow someone? But a disciple is someone who does exactly what their teacher does. He follows his teacher and does exactly what he does. And this isn't my definition. This is Jesus. Look at John 13. It says, Jesus says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. So Jesus is saying, this is what I've done. You go do exactly like me. Jesus says in Luke 6.40, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. A disciple is someone who learns from a teacher and does exactly what his teacher does. So just consider yourself right now. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Are you currently learning from Jesus and trying to be like Jesus? And the whole book of Matthew lays out what Jesus' life is like and what it looks like to live in the kingdom. So as we read through Matthew, or maybe you reminisce back to like what we've, or remind yourself back of what we've learned, is like, are you living like Jesus? Like, are you loving the way Jesus loves? Are you speaking the way that Jesus speaks? Are you using your time the way that Jesus, that's what a disciple is. And Jesus says, go and make these disciples. So what does it look like to make a disciple? Verse 19, look at that. It says, Go. High five a neighbor and say, We gotta go. High five a neighbor, tell him we gotta go. We gotta go. Like, how do you make a disciple? He says, You have to go. Go. Go where? Go to church. Go to hire yeah, someone say, yes. <laughs> go to church. Go to Sunday school. Go to neighborhood group. Where where do we have to go? Into into all the world, into all the nations. You must go. See, Jesus's primary ways of making disciples is not by you. I'm not trying to step on toes, but it's not you inviting someone to church to hear Dave or myself or Joel or Curtis or anyone else preach a message. Like, that's not the primary way to make disciples. It's not by bringing people to church. He doesn't, like, that would take forever. And in America, it's taking forever. But he says, go. You go into all the world. You make disciples. And John, he says, I am sending them into the world. Jesus is praying to his father here. He says, I am sending them into the world just as you sent me. Then Jesus said to them, peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And God is a sending God, and we are a sent people. God is a sent, all throughout John, if you read the the words like over 20 some times, sent, 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 sent. I've been sent, I've been sent, I've been sent, I'm sending you, I'm sending you, I'm sending you. It's not, it's not a come and see anymore. That was the Old Testament. It's a go and tell now. God is ascending God, and we are a sent people for a coming king. See, Jesus was enthroned as king, but he is coming back one day to judge the living and the dead, and we are a sent people. We are a sent people. We must Go. I, i've never taken a greek class but i listen to some smart dudes and they say that this word go here actually is as you are going it's not like a one-time hey go to china go to africa it's as you are going make disciples friends as you're going into the marketplace as you're going to your workplaces. As you are going into your communities, as you're going to soccer practice with your kids, as you're going, wherever it might be, as you are going, the king has said, make disciples, make followers of me, people that learn about me and act like me and live like me. This is the command. This is the mission. This is the purpose from the king. As we are going, make disciples. In Proverbs 1130, it says, the fruit of the righteous is like a tree producing life, and the one who wins souls is wise. As we go and as we win souls, this is the only way that the kingdom of darkness will be pushed back in our world. This is the only way our friends and our family members and our coworkers are going to know Jesus and love Jesus. In Romans chapter 10, verses 14 to 15, this is the ESV version, Eric Stelzer version. It says, how, that was a good one, right? But how can they call on Jesus? How can your neighbors call on Jesus to save them unless they believe in Jesus? And how can your friends believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can your coworkers hear about Jesus unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? And what did we just read? Jesus says, I've been sent, you're sent. And then he says, Paul says, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who take out the good news, who take the good news to people. Church, only a small percentage of our world want to come to our Sunday gatherings. Like, only a small percentage people want to come here and we can put on the best kids classes we can make the best coffee in Kansas City which I think it's really really good we can do whatever it might be and some of you came here because of the Sunday gathering but there's so many more people who don't want to be a part of this and the only way that we can see a significant move in the kingdom of of God is by us going and making disciples. 1.7 million people in Kansas City don't know Jesus and they don't want to come here. There are 9,600 people just in a square mile of my house and they don't want to come to church. So, how do we reach them? How do they hear about Jesus? They're not coming here. We must go. Jesus says, "Go as you're going, make disciples." I don't know about you. There's this passage in Acts and I love it. There's this passage in Acts where it says these guys were trying to like do some stuff with these demons and it says that these demons were like, "We don't know who you are, but we know who Jesus is and we know who Paul are." Uh, Paul is. And like I think about that passage and I I want In my neighborhood, in my community, I want the the devils and the dark forces of that community to know my name. And I want them to know my king's name. And I want them to tremble in fear of the mission and the purpose that I have for life. I wonder if there's five people in this room that want that too. That, That your name would be known by the demonic forces in your neighborhoods and in your communities man, I want want them to know who I am and who I am an ambassador for. I don't want to be like those guys in Acts where we don't know who you are. I want that. May I be known by that? In Acts 7, 6, it says, we see the disciples arrive in a city and the people of that city say, the men who have turned the world upside down have arrived. What if neighborhood church, as we went into our communities, into our, our third spaces, wherever that might be, what if in our communities people were like, those are the people turning the world upside down. I want that. They're not, they're not going to walk through these doors and say that. But when we're living out there on purpose for our king, they're going to be like, man, these people are turning the world upside down. What if neighborhood church was a people like that? What if I was a man like that? I I want that. So we tell Jesus, or we see Jesus say, go. So that's the first step of making disciples. What is the process of making disciples? So he says, go. And then he says, baptize and teach people to obey him. See, discipleship is reaching people far from God because he says go baptize them if they haven't been baptized that means that they probably haven't put their faith and trust in Jesus so this is not just like getting together with some Christians and having a Bible study discipleship is reaching people far from God the first step is as you're going like baptize them so people far from God have to hear the message and sometimes I think we mistake discipleship is just gathering together and reading the Bible together. So he says, we need to go and we live as citizens of the king and as we share the good news of Jesus, we baptize them. We baptize them. He says, reach people who are far from God, teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. I kind of shared this already, but Know this comes from a place of love, but discipleship is more than just meeting together with a couple Christians and studying the Bible. It's way more than that, according to Jesus in this passage right here. It's way more than just gathering together with some Christians and reading the Bible. Because discipleship is taking the hope of Jesus to those who are lost and those who need hope and who need to know that their sins have been forgiven. They need to know about what happened on Easter. They need to know about what happened on Good Friday. They need to know about Jesus' life. It's more than just us gathering together and studying the Bible together. And, And a lot of my discipleship that I've been a part of, I've been a Christian for 10 years now, has been focused not on empowering me, equipping me, and unleashing me to reach people far from God, but just kind of knowing about the Bible. So we get together, we read the Bible, we talk about the Bible, we might open up a commentary study about the Bible. But there's not really many lost people there, um, and I'm not really empowered to go share the good news with people. And and it's tough because when I'm, I'm reading and studying this passage, I'm like, well, we're supposed to baptize people. And, and another thing that we focused on in our discipleship was just Teaching, and we forget the next part, which says obedience. Like, a lot of our discipleship is just us getting together and us studying things so we can fill our heads up. But are we teaching people to obey King Jesus? Like, when we meet together and we study the Bible, do we say, hey, now go do this? Hey, go tell someone about this. Hey, take this somewhere else. And I'm not saying, like, Sunday school and the teaching and things, like, those are good but it's not making disciples. It's not seeing people far from God know Jesus and then in turn obey Jesus and then reach more people for Jesus. And I wonder if if you're a follower of Jesus today, would you say that you're actively participating in the purpose that King Jesus has for your life? Are you making disciples? Is there someone who doesn't know Jesus who's having conversations about you, about Jesus with you? Are there neighbors or friends or family members? And I'll reiterate this one more time. It's not about Pastor Dave or myself or the Sunday gathering or a teacher discipling you. You are sent to make disciples it says in ephesians that the pastors the apostles the prophets evangelists shepherds and teachers are for the equipping of the saints like we're here to serve you to go and make disciples we're not supposed to be doing the ministry we're supposed to be equipping you to send you out to make disciples okay i heard this illustration i don't know if i was going to use it but let's do it okay is it okay? You think it will be a good illustration, Lee? I think it will be a good illustration. You know what I'm talking about. My buddy shared this. Okay, so let me, um, let me do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tag Tom Reed. I'm going to tag Tom Reed. Can you stand up and raise your hand? So I've just made a disciple of Tom Reed. Yeah, raise your hand. Now, I need you to go tag someone else, and then that person raises their hand. Then you both go tag someone else, okay? Let's do that. So tag someone close to you. Then everyone stands up. Once you get tagged, you stand up. You raise your hand and then you go tag someone else. Let's see how this goes. I should have told the guys to have some background music. I'll tell some jokes as this goes on. So stand up. Now you gotta go tag, now you two both go tag two other people. Okay, Megan's been tagged, Joel's tagged, Chuck's tagged. Once you get tagged, go. You Gotta go make disciples, go make disciples. This left side, this is, this is like the Atlantic Ocean or something. Go overseas and make disciples into all the nations. Let's do this real quick, let's do this real quick. Get tagged, stand up. Okay, we're working on it. If you're sta- if you're standing up, you gotta go tag someone, you gotta go make a disciple. Okay, everyone's standing, okay, pause. Okay, everyone head back to your seats. There's nobody to tag, oh, I've been tagged by Mike. Okay, okay. So the simple illustration here, you guys can all have a seat, thank you. The simple illustration is like that rapidly spread, did it not? Now just imagine like sometimes our view of church is like I had to tag everyone, you know. Sometimes we think about that. Or two or three guys or the leaders in the church got to go tag someone. Man, that would take forever. That would take forever. But like if each of us had one person that we tag or tug, is it tug or tag? English, tag. Okay. So we all there's a tug, whatever it is. So we all we all did that thing, you know that word, and we made disciples like so quickly. And this is Jesus, Jesus says, the the I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. And he didn't mean by coming and seeing but going and telling and that's the only way the kingdom of darkness is going to be pushed back that's the only way people in our neighborhoods are going to know Jesus Christian is by you going and you making disciples and you may say and i know this is on some of your some of your minds i don't feel like i know that much i've only been a christian for a year or two like i'm supposed to go make disciples after a year or two like i've got I got Guys, I got brokenness in my heart. Like, I argue with Leah a lot. Not a lot, but maybe. I don't know. But I got brokenness. Does that stop me from, like, going to make disciples? Or I don't know. There's guys that are way, way smarter than me. Leah's brother Preston's smarter than me. Does that, does that stop me from going and making disciples? No, and I know that some of us can be like, man, I'm, I'm scared of what people are going to think. I don't know what I should... Oh, wait, should I do that or should I not do that? Look at verse 17 with me. Look at verse 17. Right before Jesus does this, what's it say? It says that the disciples, they went up to the mountain where he went and it said some worshiped him, but what what, what did the other guys do? They doubted. Yet Jesus still tells them, go and make disciples. Guys, this is just a raggedy bunch of 11 guys. Like... They all scattered when Jesus was executed just a couple weeks earlier. Peter denied even knowing him for like three times just a couple weeks before this even happened. Thomas didn't even believe Jesus rose from the dead. Like, and Jesus says, You guys go. And he knew their hearts, he knew there was doubt, he knew there was fear. They're just ordinary people like you and I. They were fishermen. They weren't. They weren't the pastors and teachers and religious leaders of the day. They were normal people with fears. Like this is, this is a crazy way to start a revolution, isn't it? Like I would pick the A team. This is the B, maybe C team that Jesus picks. Like maybe Mother Teresa. I might get her on my team, or Gandhi and some other people. But he, Jesus, picks like these. These guys that just doubt him and don't even really believe in him and don't like we see later in Acts that they say some of these guys like they're unlearned men. They don't know they don't know that much. They're uneducated. But they know Jesus. But they know Jesus, their king, and he's he sent them. So guys, th- it may seem like there's not as much hope, and I want to close with this third point. So we have the premise of the purpose is because I am king and all power and all authority is mine, the principle is I'm going to send you, the purpose is I'm going to send you in the world to make disciples. And the promise is found at the end of verse 20 and he says, and I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. Jesus is going to be with you. And this may seem like an impossible mission, 7.4 billion people in the world, maybe more than half of them, don't know Jesus. This seems like an impossible mission. But Jesus says, I'm going to be with you. In your fear, in your doubt, maybe not knowing that many Bible verses, I'm going to be with you. In Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and verses 8, it says, hey, guys, wait here for a second. God is going to send the promise, his Holy Spirit. And in verse 8, he says, and when you receive power from the Holy Spirit, my presence, you will be witnesses in, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. So our third point is the promise of our purpose. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. In the trials, in the tribulations, in the awkward conversations with your neighbor. Like, uh, there, I did some dumb things and my neighbor doesn't like me. And it was because I let Leo out in the front yard. But God says, I'm going to be with you in that. I'm going to be with you in that to reach this lady. I'm going to be with you in that. Jesus chose to use weak and broken people he chooses to use people like me and you with our insecurities our brokenness our doubts jesus gives us his holy spirit to empower us to make disciples each and every one of you if you're a follower of jesus you have the holy spirit in you to be the witness of who jesus is there's a passage that says it's no longer you who live but it's jesus who lives in you In the Old Testament, his presence dwelt in a tabernacle. In the New Testament, it dwelt in the man, the God-man, Jesus. And now his presence dwells in us to go out and make disciples. All the power that we need to accomplish our purpose has been given to us and dwells in us. The one who spoke in the universe, came into existence, lives in us and wants to empower us and equip us to see many people far from God come to know him. In another passage, we read, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is in us, making his appeal through us for those who do not know him yet. We are ambassadors, but he says, I'm going to do it. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God in you working through you. So it's just yielding to the power that's in you. This isn't Yoda, Star Wars stuff, but there's the, the, the God of the universe dwells in you. Everything you need dwells in you. And God wants to do greater things than you can ever imagine in your families, in your communities, in your neighborhoods, in our city. And I know it can seem impossible. It can seem scary, intimidating, but he has given us everything we need. And I know that people won't get you. You'll be rejected at times. you be made fun of. But there's nothing that could ever separate you from God's love. This week I met with a guy on Tuesday. We So in Aletha, as we're planning this church, we have discovery groups. It's our discipleship pathway. And we teach people who are far from God how to read the Bible and how to experience Jesus and obey Jesus. And this guy's been sober for two weeks. He has a gambling issue; just gambles away like 1,200 bucks, like a week and a half ago. Um, he was a meth addict, and I asked him, "I was like, hey man, what are you, what are you trying to get out of this? So wh- why are you here? Why are you studying?" He's like, "I want to be just like Ryan." And Ryan is a guy on our team who's helping us with these discipleship pathway. It's like, and and Ryan is like Jesus. And Ryan wants to make disciples. This guy is hurting and broken. And there are many people in this world, even though you're going to be misunderstood and rejected, there are many people like this young man who need hope. And he'll come and they'll learn from you and they'll be like you as you're like Jesus. There's this passage in Romans 8, 29 through 39. And I I love the message version from Eugene Peterson. Let me read this, and then I'll close with a story. In Romans 8, 29 to 39, it says, God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. So what do you think? With God on our side, with the king on our side like this, how can we lose If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's children? Who would dare even to point a finger The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at the very moment sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There's no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. Like they kill us in cold blood because they hate you. We're sitting ducks. They picked us off one by one. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, our king, has embraced us. He's left us a promise. He says, go and make disciples, and I will be with you. And nothing, nothing in this universe will separate you from my love for you. Amen? The king has come. He's established his throne. He's returning. And he says, go and make disciples. Teach people to obey me and be like me. Be restored to their creator God, there was, um, I'll close with this, there was a communist revolution in both China and Russia. And in Russia, the church was built around these big cathedrals and the priests. Some of our churches in the United States are the same way. So these teachers held the word of God, they shared the word of God, it was a place you went to, it was was a place you came to, And the revolution wanted to push out Christianity. And so they began to destroy the buildings and get rid of the priest until there was no buildings and no teachers of the Bible. And what happened in Russia is the church basically fizzled out and died. Because they're like, what do we do now? We don't have a place to go. We don't have anyone to teach us. The same thing happened in China under Mao Zedong if that's how you pronounce his name and he started a revolution but there was something different that happened in China. The people were empowered to know this Bible and to tell their friends about it. They were equipped. They were unleashed to do that. And so as Mao pushed back against Christianity and the cathedrals and churches were destroyed and the Teachers and priests were kind of let go. They didn't have normal jobs anymore. You know, they weren't paid. The church was fine. Like, oh, we'll just go to our neighbors and tell them. Like, we, this is this is our job. This isn't the priests in the cathedral. This is our job to go take this to them. And under Mao Zedong's rule, the church went from two million people to eighty million people. Two million people to eighty million people, because it wasn't based around. A preacher or a pastor. It was based around this and obeying their king. And what if we did that? What if we were equipped and powered and leashed to go and make disciples? Let me put some questions up for us and we will close. First, do you believe that Jesus is your King? Or do you believe that He's your King? That his final words are your first priority. And if not, why? Why not? If he's not or you don't believe that, then you're living contradiction and opposition to the king. How are you living out your purpose from the king? What ways? Like who? who who's one person far from God that you can disciple? Those are just some things to, to think about this week. Is Jesus your king, and if he is, how is that affecting the way you live? And if it's affecting the way you live, like, rethink discipleship. It's reaching par- far people far from God, teaching them to obey and love Jesus, and then, in turn, teach other people to tag another person, tag another person. That tag game, that's what happened in China. What if it happened in our city? What if it happened in the United States? Man, that would be Awesome. The king has spoken. Let us um, pray, friends. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it shows us your purposes for our life. We thank you that Jesus has conquered sin, death, and the devil. We thank you that he is right now reigning on high. And Lord, I pray that you'll give your people, your children, the passion, faith to obey you, to make disciples. Man, there are so many people that don't know you. In the same way that I know you, I want Darren to know you, and Jason and Tanya, my neighbors, to know you, and David to know you, and Colton to know you. God, I pray that you equip and empower me. And I pray that we would be a people, a church, a community that turns Kansas City upside down. And that the kingdom of darkness would get pushed back in our city. I pray that you would solidify this message in our hearts. I pray that you would gnaw on our hearts until we obey you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, every Sunday um, we...